Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. Here at Mosaic, we uh, really like to go through books of the Bible just consistently and, and verse by verse or passage by passage so that we can really understand what each book of the Bible, each passage really means, right? Like it's not about Pastor Brandon or myself standing up here and telling you what we think might be here for you. We're not doing something, some sort of like spiritual journey uh, in some sort of esoteric way to try to like ferret out all the, the crazy deep meanings of the text. We just want to give you what God has said in his word very clearly. Does that make sense? So we want to go verse by verse through books. And we're currently in the book of Mark, <coughs> excuse me, in uh, chapter nine currently. So if you want to start flipping there, you can go over that direction. But I want you to kind of grab the context before we dive in to Mark chapter nine. We're going to be in verses one through 13, by the way. So in context here, sort of the most recent sort of mountaintop thing that has happened is Peter has declared to Jesus, you are the Christ. He's come to this realization that, oh, this is the promised Messiah. This is the, the anointed one that God promised he would send for his people. He had come to this crazy, awesome realization. And I think I referenced this in, uh, in, the, in that sermon that when uh, you look at the book of Luke, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, who's Peter, right? He says, for God has given you this, right? He says, God has revealed this to you. This is not man-made wisdom. This is something that God has revealed to you. And so you get this mountaintop experience, and then all of a sudden, we hear Jesus foretelling his death. What an interesting thing here. This is mountaintop, and then Jesus says, I have to suffer and die. And Peter's like, no, 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 this cannot be. I won't stand for this, Lord. No, that's not Okay. And then Jesus says what? This is one of, probably one of our favorite verses if, you're, if you've been in the, in the word for any length of time because you say this to your spouse every once in a while. At least I do. Maybe I shouldn't. Get thee behind me, Satan. Right? So Jesus goes to Peter and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. And he goes on to tell about how he has to suffer and die. And he talks about how the, uh, if people uh, are ashamed of him, he too will be ashamed of them. It's just an interesting sort of progression that we have here. But the main focus here is, is from Christ to sacrifice, right? Both and. He is both the Christ and he is the Lamb of God. And so this begins, like I said, this, this rebuke is here to, to, to say, hey, like, this isn't what you expect. Like, you don't really understand what's going on here. You, you're thinking that I'm going to deliver you from the Romans by military or political force, that I'm going to come and, and, and I'm going to take this, this one part of this little world at this given time by storm, but you don't get it yet. You don't quite understand. The Christ who had come 
was actually there to deliver his people, all of his people, both Jew and Gentile, from sin and death through his death and resurrection. And, set, and he was going to set up an eternal kingdom that would never end. It was a very different thing from what Peter and the rest of the apostles or disciples at this point were expecting. See, the, the disciples understood that Jesus was the Christ or Messiah, but they don't yet fully understand the scope of his ministry. They've been hearing him teach, but they haven't really been listening. They've come to his teaching with their own presuppositions, their own expectations and going, this is what I expect from you. And that's all they ended up hearing. They weren't really listening to Jesus. They were just hearing their own expectations parroted back to them by Jesus. They needed to have this broken down. And so in this passage we're going to look at today, the disciples begin to get a sense that Jesus is more than just a man. He's more than just a conqueror in this small temporal sense. But that makes his death even more confusing for them, unfortunately. Ultimately, though, this passage shows us the error of hearing without understanding and draws us to really listen when God speaks. And so as we read this passage today, I would encourage you to listen to what God has to say. Because when we read the scriptures, this is God speaking to us. Does that make sense? Like, so don't come to this text with all sorts of presuppositions. Don't read yourself into the text too early. Just listen to what God has to say. And so why don't you guys stand with me as we read the word of God. We do this out of respect for his word because he is speaking through his word. Again, Mark chapter nine, verses one through 13, they say this. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that uh, first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man of the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray one more time. I pray, Lord God, that this morning you would help us to fully hear what you have to say in your word. Lord, not only as I preach this morning, not only as we hear your words spoken, but Lord, every time that we go to your word, every time that we hear you speak clearly to us 
through your word. I pray that you would help us to listen to what you have to say. Help us, Lord, not to read ourselves into the text too, too much. Lord, I pray that you would help us just to, to see who you are and then, Lord, what you have promised to us clearly. We thank you, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So I've said this before, uh, but uh, for those of you who are maybe a little bit newer here, uh, you should know this about me. I love stories with a good twist. I think most people do, but like I, I have a particular love for this sort of twist that like you read the story, you get to the twist and you're like, wait a second, I need to go back and reread the whole thing with a brand new context. There's a particular book that I read a while back and uh, needless, I, I won't like mention exactly what it is, but it's a, it's this like fantasy sort of sci-fi thing. Okay. Like most of you guys probably aren't interested. If you are, feel free to talk to me after service and I'll talk to you about it. But the whole deal is like you start the book thinking this is sort of this medieval fantasy thing. And by the end of the book, you find out that's not really what it is. This is actually a sci-fi novel. And the things that you thought were like swords and battle axes or whatever else, they're really like high-tech weaponry and all sorts of crazy things are going on in the background. Like it's really about the character and there's this new context that you can read the whole story in. It's crazy. And so I've just given it away to you, which is sad so if you ever go to read it, but you probably won't. That's okay. But it's just an amazing thing because you, you go, well, but I thought, and then you go, okay, wait, now I get it. I can read the whole thing again and I understand more of what's going on. But if somebody had told me that that book had a twist in it like that, I think that I wouldn't have enjoyed what was going on. I really wouldn't really have paid much, much attention. I'd have been sitting there looking for the twist the whole time. Somebody said like, hey, there's a big twist in this. Like, just wait for it. Then I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to agonize over like, is this, is this really what I'm supposed to be reading? Like, am I, I'm not enjoying the story. I'm just sort of going, what's happening here? And how do I find this one thing, this one thing that I'm expecting? I expect this to be here every step of the way. And then like, I end up getting disappointed and not really paying attention. Well, that's the deal with unmet expectations, right? Like when you expect something, that's all you're doing is you look for it. And that's what was kind of going on with the disciples. They were expecting something in particular from Jesus as the Christ, just as we've seen. They expected this temporal, worldly kingdom with him as its military or political head. They expected him to oust the Romans and to deliver Judea from oppression, that was sort of their expectation of him. And so when they heard him speak, when they heard him teach, that's all they could see. Their expectations clouded the actual teaching. It clouded the actual thing that Jesus was trying to convey. So in this passage that we just read, Peter, James, and John began to have their eyes opened. Peter had already recognized Jesus as the Christ, and that was a big deal, but he had still was failing to grasp the nature of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching about. Jesus had, had just connected his, uh, his death with the coming of the kingdom. Look at like verse 831. I don't have this up there, but 
If you flip back and you look at 831, you see he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again, right? That's 831. In the same body of teaching, we have verse 9-1 and he says to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. His death and resurrection were directly connected to the kingdom that he was going to set up. This was not a standard kingdom, and it should have been obvious. It should have been. But they had their expectations set. They were listening to Jesus speak and teach, but they weren't really understanding. The reality is it didn't fit their narratives. Their expectations didn't allow for a Christ who would die for his people's sins. They expected a conqueror who would save Judea, not a lamb who would die to save Jew and Gentile alike. And then only later would he come in judgment and make every knee bow before him. Not the Jesus they expected. And they were having a really hard time seeing it. And the kingdom that he was setting up wasn't the kingdom that they expected. Like I said, this kingdom was directly connected with the death, resurrection, and ascension of, of Christ. And so we see in verse one, it speaks of the kingdom coming in power. He promises that, that those who were there that day, some of them would actually live to see that day. Some people have said, oh, this is an error. This shows that Jesus wasn't who he said he was because the kingdom hasn't come yet. They think it's a far future reality. That's not what's going on here. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is an already not yet reality. When Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of God, the Father, the kingdom is here. This is the kingdom age. We're living in it right now. But there is a time when that kingdom will come to full consummation and we will see it with our eyes and we will live in it forever in eternity. Romans 1.4 connects this for us. Uh, it says that, it says, and was, but it's Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus our Lord. The son of God in power, that is the king in power, right? He was declared to be this and he was this as he ascended to the, the right hand of God the Father. But again, <clears throat> this didn't really fit the narrative here and it was difficult for the, the disciples to really comprehend what was going on. And so Jesus does something that he often does, God often does. He condescends to his people. He, he looks at Peter, James, and John, and he says, I'm going to show you just a glimpse. I'm just going to help you to understand. You're obviously not getting it, and I'm going to be patient with you. It's okay. Come with me, right? So in verses 2 and 3, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. This is an, there's a few interesting things here. One is that he brings with him three witnesses. So Jesus goes up the mountain and, and he brings three witnesses with him. Why three witnesses, you might ask? Well, these were obviously like sort of Jesus' best buddies, right? So that's, that's part of what's going on here, right? So Peter, James, and John were kind of the three Right? If, he, if Jesus was going like, to treat anybody special, it was going to be first Peter, and then it was James and John, and then it was the rest of them. Okay? Those are his best, best guys, right? So he brings them with him. But it's not out of favoritism. He brings three witnesses 
the number three, because that is the number of people required to verify any claim in a court of law according to Old Testament law. So if, if, if you brought, it says you must have two or three witnesses in order to verify this. And so he brings three people with him so that when Mark goes to write this text later on, right? After the ascension, after the resurrection, everything else, right? When Mark goes to, read, to write this text and he says, Peter, James, and John were there, he's saying, go verify it with them, right? He's making a historical claim with people to back it up. And he can do that because Jesus brought those three guys with him. Crazy, awesome. So he brings them with him and he takes them up onto a high mountain. This is interesting because many experiences with God seem to happen on high mountains, right? You think about Moses on Mount Sinai, right? He receives the 10 commandments there. Interestingly, it says after six days, guess how many days Moses waited on the mountain? Six days. There's a period of waiting before the revelation. So he brings these three guys up there after six days and, and the, he goes to this high mountain and, and he, he, he sort of embodies this, uh, this idea of Moses going to get the Ten Commandments or even Elijah speaking to God after the wind and the, the fire and the earthquake. You, you remember this story when Elijah is in the cave and he's waiting and he hears the, the wind and it's terrible and, and God makes it happen, but God is not in the wind. And then the earthquake happens, but God is not in the earthquake and the fire happens and he's not in the fire. And then he hears the still small voice of God. Likewise, Jesus goes to the mountain to make revelation to his people. And then he reveals to them just a glimpse of his glory. Now, you might think by this description that this is Jesus in all of his glory. In fact, you, you, you might hear somebody preach this text and use that turn of phrase because it's common to say all of his glory. But this is not all of his glory. This is a, a glimpse. This is just a sliver, a portion. It's like looking through the, you know, the little pinhole thing that you use to view a, 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 an eclipse. Like, it's like seeing it like that. Like you see a small bit of it. You understand what it looks like, but you can't look at it directly. Jesus is letting them see just a little bit of it. Why do I say that? Because in Exodus 33, 20, God says, but you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Man shall not see God and live. We are too impure, too unholy to last anything before God. And so if Jesus had revealed all of his glory in that moment to his disciples, we wouldn't have many disciples anymore. We had nine. But he gave them a glimpse. And that glimpse of his glory was radiant. That's the word that's used in the ESV. Uh, the uh, Young's literal translation, if I remember correctly, uses glittering. It's a good word. I like that word. It's a fun word. Dazzling is another good word for this. Or blinding light. Look, this might have been like the last thing that Saul saw in that Damascus Road experience. When he's blinded, he saw just a little flash of God's glory. This is the same kind of experience that these disciples are having. When Jesus transfigures, he, he, he becomes completely different and his clothes are just glowing with this white light. They are absolutely blinded for a moment. They can't see anything else. It's, it's all gone, but it's so bright that they can't believe their eyes. 
And then Mark also uses this term, uh, transfigured, <laughs> which is a, a really fun term uh, because it literally means metamorphosed. All right, that's a real English word. You can go look it up. I, I did. All right, but you get the idea, metamorphosis. It's the, it's, and the only time that you really use this in common language is if you're thinking about like either like a sci-fi kind of thing and weird things are happening or you think about butterflies and caterpillars, right? It is a completely different form. He's saying the form of Jesus looked so other, so different that he was metamorphosed. He was transfigured. So incredibly other than us. So incredibly different. Showing that Jesus, while he may be fully human, he is also fully God. And he is not so much like us that we can treat him as if he's just another human teacher or just someone else who's speaking into the noise of the world. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is something other, something different than what we might perceive. He is fully God and fully man. And he shows him just a little bit of that glory. And so by revealing this glimpse of his glory to his closest disciples, Jesus was teaching them something vital. Again, he was more than a mere man. They didn't have the full picture yet. And I, I honestly don't think that they recognized him at this point as God himself. But he was revealing to them that he wasn't just a teacher or just a prophet. He wasn't just another in the long line. He was the teacher, the prophet, the Christ, just as we learned a few weeks back. And not only that, not only was Jesus like clothed in absolute radiant white and looked so different that they said that he was transformed, transfigured, but he was standing there with two guys who were long dead, standing there with Moses and Elijah. Elijah is there because he's a representative of the prophets. While Elijah doesn't have any of his own writings, we can easily say that Elijah seemed to be the greatest of the prophets up to maybe John and Jesus, right? Obviously Jesus, but maybe John. So Elijah's standing there, and so is Moses. Moses is there as a representative of the law. So we have a representative of the prophets, and we have the representative of the law. And this shows that Jesus was the fulfillment of their ministries. What Moses started, what Elijah started, was being fulfilled by Christ in his ministry. Look, if you, if you look at this text and you, and you kind of do what Peter did, and he thinks that these are three equals talking amongst themselves, you've got a problem. This is a superior talking to two inferiors. These two great men, Elijah and Moses, sitting there talking to Jesus. Ultimately, the law and the prophets, talking about the Old Testament, that's an easy, easy way to divide the Old Testament. There's the law, there's the Pentateuch, and then there's the prophets, which really encompasses the rest of the Old Testament. You might hear um, other sorts of divisions, but that's the basic division of the Old Testament. And so you, you think of these two men standing here and, and speaking with Jesus, and, and, him, and Jesus showing that this is, this is what they were looking for. It, what's, it's what they were doing. It was getting to him. 
Ultimately, the law and the prophets were not an end to themselves. They were a means to God's end, that is redemption in Christ. So what does this mean for us, that Jesus acts as that fulfillment? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I want to I help you to hear God more clearly as you read the scriptures. If you ever read a chapter or verse of scripture without the understanding that everything is a means to the end of Christ, then you're only getting a part of the picture. Look, it's good to know the Ten Commandments, okay? Good things, right? Don't murder. It's a good lesson, right? <laughs> like, it's great. Like, you shall uh, love the Lord your, your God, and you, you will have no other gods before him. All great things, right? Good things to know. So if you know the Ten Commandments, that's good. But knowing how those Ten Commandments point you to Jesus and how he fulfilled them for you so that you can enjoy eternity with him, that's far better. You have to admit that, right? Because the Ten Commandments on their own, they condemn you. Because you cannot uphold all of them perfectly. You will never do it. You cannot. But Jesus did. And he did it for you. That's it. Right? That's the, the big reveal. That's the piece you're missing. If you just know the Ten Commandments, that's good. But it is far, far better to know how they point you to Christ. Likewise, it's, it's good to know the story of David. Knowing, but, but knowing that David is meant to prefigure Jesus, Jesus and, as a savior and as a king over God's people is far, far better. Because ultimately the hero story is great, but when you realize that the hero is actually Jesus, that is far better. In another place, if you, if you think about like the story of Ruth, like why is it important that we know the story of Ruth? It's, it's a good story. It's a good redemption story, man. It's just a really good narrative, okay? Like, you could read the book of Ruth not having any connection to Christianity at all and appreciate it as a good narrative, as a good story. But when you realize that the whole story is an image of Jesus redeeming us out of sin and death, that's far better. If you want to hear God, like truly hear him as you read his word, you have to start and end with Christ. This is, I, I, I think there's a technical term for it and it's eluding me at the moment, but I'm gonna call it the Christ hermeneutic, okay? Like this is the, the like how do we read the Bible? Well, we read with, through the lens of Christ. We may not be able to find Christ under every rock, okay? Every verse isn't like an obvious allusion to Christ. But we have to read all of scripture through that lens. Uh, we're, we're beginning this sort of, uh, time of, of discipleship uh, focus as a church, right? Pastor Brandon talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and as part of that, we, uh, we, we have what we call discipleship groups. We're going to start uh, rolling those out in the near future. And we have a, a set of questions to help you to study the Bible well together. Uh, and and th those questions are this, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about man? What is this, how does this passage point me to Christ? And how should I respond? Right? Those are the four sort of basic questions that we want you to ask about any given passage of Scripture. Maybe more or less clear in some instances, but I, I want to point this out. That third question, how does this passage point me to Christ, 
is the central thing of all of it. If you simply know who God is and you simply know who man is, but you don't bridge the chasm between the two, you've got a problem. We have to see Christ in scripture or God is, is speaking into the ether, essentially. We have to hear him as he speaks about Christ in all of scripture. Of course, that how we should respond part, that last question uh, is the part that Peter kind of got wrong in this particular instance, as Peter often does. Right? Peter is, is my favorite character, if you will, favorite person in the Bible. Uh, you know, I, I would love to have a, an intellectual discussion with Paul, but like, I feel like Peter would be just a fun guy to hang out with because he says what's in your head and he does the stuff that you don't really expect. And so this is kind of what happened uh, in this moment after, um, after they see Jesus talking with Elijah and Moses. You see, uh, I, I've said before that there's some comfort in knowing that the disciples were just people too. Peter, Peter was really trying to process everything, but he was like, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's build some tents. <laughs> it's just a nervous talk, right? Uh, like, look, I, he was really trying hard to process everything, but he really let his mouth get in front of his brain. Look, I, I say all of this for, for just a moment to say, as you study the scripture, as you seek to understand and listen to what God has said, you're gonna sometimes put your mouth in front of your brain. And that's okay. Peter did it. The rest of the disciples did it consistently. It's okay. It is far better for you to take the risk. Far better for you to go to the scriptures and maybe get it wrong sometimes than for you to never know what God has said. But yeah, Peter wasn't quite there yet. He wasn't quite to this point where he, he could see Christ clearly. We can do that. We can look at the New Testament. We see who Jesus is. We can read with that Christ hermeneutic. Peter wasn't there yet, okay? Peter was like kind of halfway there. He knew he was the Christ. He wasn't sure where else this was going. And so again, Peter sort of always talking, seldom listening, uh, begins, <laughs> begins to talk. He says, Peter, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. This shows a massive misunderstanding of what's going on in Peter's head. He thinks that these are three equal people in front of him. He's going to make a standard tent for Elijah, a standard tent for Jesus, and a standard tent for Moses. Massive misunderstanding, Right? Peter still hasn't processed what's going on here. Like the only one that is radiating bright, blinding light is Jesus. And he still thinks, well, Jesus is kind of like these other guys. We're going to make standard tents for them. Peter just, he gets it wrong. He's very zealous. He's very caring. He's very fully committed. But uh, wise is not the good, a good superlative for him. You know what I mean? He says, though, uh, I, I love this. He says, we, it is good that we are here. And while you can criticize Peter's rashness, man, it is, isn't it? It is good that we are here. He says something that's very, very true. Like, it's not that he needed to be there to make tents. He's got that part wrong. But it is good that they were there. It was good for them to see who Jesus was. It was good for them to really begin to comprehend what's happening. This is something that, that J.C. Ryle kind of brought out in his commentary He's like, these words are just very true. It's very good for God's people to see his revelation. But they were terrified. I mean, that's why Peter had this outburst, right? 
absolutely terrified. That's a, an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? Like a lot of the time we, think, we like to think about God as approachable, easy to get along with. He, you know, Jesus is, is our buddy, right? Uh, I make jokes about some modern worship songs where it's like, Jesus is my boyfriend. It's not like that, right? It's not like that. Yes, Jesus is our brother in, in that sort of heavenly family sense, but he's the firstborn. There is a, a degree of, of respect that, is, that should be afforded to him. And as fully God, we should be terrified. It's interesting that a lot of people think that, that we need to soften the fear of God when it comes up in scripture. Does that make some sense? Like I, when you think about the fear of God, I've heard a lot of people talk about this in terms of like, well, it's not really fear. It's not really like being afraid. It's like a respect sort of, and now I, I mean, I think we should start with terror. I really think we should start with terror. Honestly, it's like, I mean, it says they were terrified. This was a man who they knew. This was Jesus in front of them. And they were terrified of what was happening. Why? Because that glory was so other. They didn't fully comprehend what was happening, but they knew something was powerful before them. Some have made this fear of God out to be a small thing, but it truly is not because before you can truly know God's love, his mercy, his grace, you have to understand his holiness, his justice, and his wrath. If you don't understand those, those things first, that idea of justice and wrath and holiness and righteousness, those things that should make you fearful, then you will never fully understand his love and his grace. God's grace will never seem small if we have a right view of his wrath. But God's grace will always seem trivial as well to the, to the person who does not fear God. But to the person who does fear God, they see God's grace as insurmountably amazing. Think about that. If you truly feared God, if you truly saw him for all of his wonderful and terrible wrath and justice, if you truly understood, then his grace would be all the sweeter. His mercy would be so much better. And of course, if that wasn't this sight of Jesus being bright white in these two dead men, by the way, that's interesting that they identified them as Elijah and Moses. God must have given them some sort of supernatural revelation. They never met Elijah and Moses. They didn't have any pictures of him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's crazy. Anyway, God, so God imparts supernatural knowledge to them on that matter, but not on the other matters. Very interesting. Anyway, so they see this big scene of like Jesus radiating bright light, talking to these two dead men, right? And then as if it couldn't get any more terrifying, a cloud surrounds the whole mountain. What does this remind you of? And this reminds you of, of Sinai again. This is Moses on the mountain, the cloud that obscured everything that was going on from the people. This cloud comes. And out of the cloud, God the Father speaks. Now you have to remember the disciples probably weren't there at Jesus' baptism. They hadn't seen the, the, the spirit come down as a dove and they, they hadn't heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, right? They hadn't heard this stuff before. They didn't understand any of that. They hadn't comprehended that. But now, 
now they were hearing it for the first time. So Jesus, shining bright white, talking to two dead men, the cloud comes around, and out of the cloud, God speaks. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. If you were Peter, how bad would you feel? Because he, he had just spoken up. He was like, let's make some tents for you guys. And God the Father comes by in a cloud and he says, be quiet, shut up, and listen. Like you haven't been listening this whole time. Not just now, but the whole time you haven't gotten it. Shut up and listen. Just listen. Look, I mean... I can't imagine this moment where God says, this is my beloved son, calling Jesus out as one who has all authority, all power. He, he is the firstborn, right? Eternally begotten, right? He calls him out and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He has all authority to speak on my behalf. That's what he's saying. He reinforces Jesus' authority here. If you get nothing else from this sermon today, <coughs> I, I want you to, to hear the theme again. When God speaks, take time just to listen. Just listen. Sometimes we, we get our mouths out in front of our brains like Peter did. Sometimes we, we read or we listen to sermons and we're second guessing everything, right? I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I do this sometimes. I'll listen to a podcast from a well-known preacher and I will be sitting there going, what's he getting wrong? Rather than just listening to the word of God being spoken. Now look, there's a, there's a reason to be on guard when it comes to theology. There's a good reason for it, but that, that should never take place of, hey, I actually want to hear what God has to say from his word. When you read, when you Listen to, to God's word being proclaimed. Listen for the things that convict you. Listen for the uncomfortable stuff. If you feel like you want to avoid something, dive into it, right? When you feel like you want to dive into something, ask what you're missing. Because I find often my heart leads me in directions where I dive deep on the stuff that's easy or interesting, and I just gloss over the stuff that's real hard for me. Look, sometimes God speaks loudly as, in order to kind of snap us out of our slumber, right? Like, just like he did from the, from the cloud just now, right? Well, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's a, it's a rebuke. It's a, it's, a, it's a sort of a punctuation sort of moment. It's an exclamation point. But often we miss the best of what God has for us because we're not listening to the still small voice. Look, sometimes we let all the noise of like social media and entertainment and pointless debates drown out God's voice. I know it's easy for me to do. I, I, I think it's easy for you guys to do. I don't know. Can somebody give me an amen? Yeah. A sad amen, right? Like, because it's, it's one of those things where like, you, you look at what's going on in the world, you, you feel like you need to be up on all the latest news and you need to see what everybody else is seeing and, and be entertained by all the same stuff that other people are entertained by. And then we find that, that we miss God's voice. We're not listening anymore. Look, it's okay if you don't know 
the latest news or aren't caught up on all the latest trends in social media, it's okay. It is far better for you to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, think about that comparison. It's not just an assumed thing. How much are you taking in of all this other stuff? How much are you diving into all of that other stuff? And how much are you valuing that versus time with God and his word? Are you letting God speak? Are you listening? Or are you just glossing by? Are you doing devotions for five minutes in the morning and just timing it out and going, yep, that was five minutes and I'm done. And then forget what you read? Forget what you were encouraged to do? Are you really listening or are you just hearing without understanding? Look, it's okay if you don't have a perfectly airtight theology. It is better for you to truly know God. Dive deep, right? If you're like, oh, I don't understand this. I don't know how to interpret this. That's okay. Receive it. Move on. Continue. You, you don't, don't assume that when you first start reading the Bible that you're going to understand everything perfectly. It's okay. It is far better for you to spend time understanding what God has said than it is for you to have this airtight theology on this one point because you find yourself passionate about it. It's okay if everybody says the world is ending tomorrow. It really is. It is far better for you if you are completely unaware that the world is ending tomorrow, but you know precisely that you will be welcomed into glory because you have faith in Christ. You have a relationship with him. I think, I think we, we really do get this topsy-turvy. I think a lot of people get really obsessed about the latest news or, or, or even like biblical things like eschatology, right? They're thinking about end times. They get so obsessed that they're worried if the world is going to end tomorrow, but they don't know God anymore. They haven't spent any time with him. They don't have a relationship. It's broken. Listen to God speak. My favorite sayings that gets attributed to a lot of people is, uh, if you want to hear from God, read his word. If you want to hear God speak out loud, uh, read the word out loud. Um, go to the Word. And then uh, it, the, uh, the next thing that we see in this, in this passage, after God the Father speaks, I love this, there's this big contrast, and suddenly, suddenly, they saw no one other than Jesus, right? It says, suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. They only saw Jesus. What a pr perspective shift, right? They come up to this mountain with, with their teacher, a man, they thought, right? This perhaps a conqueror, perhaps a great man, but just a man. But as they walk back down the mountain, this sudden perspective shift of like, this Jesus is not merely a man. He is not merely anything. He is divine. He is something other. I don't know if they had come to that conclusion that Jesus was fully God, but they had to get the general gist, right? But I think it's, uh, this is just a side note. When we look at this particular verse, it says they only saw Jesus. They saw Jesus only. I, uh, I, I want to encourage you that it's okay to be in that place where you see Jesus only. Maybe we should spend more time there. 
Um, and I don't think that there's like an exegetical reason for me to stand here and say like, this is what the text says. The text isn't saying, hey, spend more time with Jesus. But like this, this moment of like, all of this has been revealed and now they're just going to spend time with Jesus alone, walking down the mountain. There's this afterward journey of like they're processing, but they're just spending time with him. If we just spent a little bit more time in prayer, that relationship, that, that's, that seeing Jesus only sort of mentality, right? Just an encouragement to you guys to, to spend that time with Jesus just alone. But as they're going down the mountain, <coughs> um, it says, and they were coming down the mountain, that he, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead might mean. He's like, okay, guys, no spoilers. All right, you've seen the movie, no spoilers. Don't tell anybody, all right? There will come a time when you can tell everybody, but today's not the day. <laughs> and you know how that works, right? If, if somebody's like, hey, don't tell anybody this, it's all you can think about. And that's kind of where they went. They started thinking about this and they, they started rolling around in, in their heads. And in verse 10, it says they were questioning what rising from the dead might mean. Again, showing that they had their own expectations and they hadn't left them behind yet, right? They're like, what does rising from the dead mean? Well, obviously it means rising from the dead, dummy, right? Like, but that's not what they were thinking, they were thinking, oh, well, this must be some sort of esoteric knowledge that Jesus has painted us this picture and we're supposed to figure it out. That's not what was going on, though, right? I mean, it was kind of understandable that they would be confused, though, because if he was as powerful as they had seen him on the mountain, then who could kill him, right? Who could possibly take his life? In fact, I think this is why Jesus brought them to the mountain to show them that he laid his life down freely and no one could take it from him. He was saying, hey, I am going to die, but it is by my choice. I'm doing this for you. And later they would truly understand that. And their, their questioning eventually led them to this prophecy in Malachi 4, 5 through 6. I think I have it up here. It says... Uh, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is one of the last things that God says in the Old Testament through his prophets. They're led to this, I, I don't know exactly how they got to this point. I think they were thinking day of the Lord, like this is a great and awesome thing. Something is, is happening here. They were thinking sort of, end of days sort of things. But they, they, they're like, hmm, what about this? Isn't Elijah supposed to come first? And then in verses 11 through 13, Jesus makes it clear what's going on. He says, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. I won't spend much time here today, but we saw this earlier in our study of the book of Mark, when John the Baptist was thrown into prison and he was ultimately beheaded. People were asking the question, is, is, this, is this Elijah? Is this the promised one? 
And when he was asked, like, are you Elijah? He rightly answered, no, I am not Elijah reincarnated, right? I am not the man Elijah, but I, like he was operating in the office of Elijah. That's why Jesus can say that John fulfilled that prophecy. John was operating in that office. And guess what? They did to him exactly what was prophesied. He was done whatever they wanted to do with him and ultimately killed him. And, he's, and what Jesus says here is, why do you think it should be any different for me? If John, who was the Elijah that was promised from all these years ago, if God made that happen and they took him and they beat him and they imprisoned him and they ultimately killed him, why do you think it would be different for me? I think the, the disciples kind of got wrapped around the axle here. They, they had thought so hard about rising from the dead that they just couldn't see the, the reality clearly that Jesus was telling them, hey, like I am going to actually physically die and I will rise again. Sometimes we think way too hard about a given text or a given passage we, we, try to, we think that God has some esoteric meaning. There's guys out there who do something called numerology and they, they count all these numbers in the scripture and they come up with this, like, some crazy conclusions about like the scripture is saying this or that. And there are some numbers that are important in scripture, don't get me wrong, but like there is some like deep stuff out there where people have like counted the number of verses in a given book and drawn conclusions from that and things like that. Look, sometimes we go far too deep. Sometimes we just need to hear what God says. And when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to die and, be, and I'm going to rise again in three days, he meant what he said. Likewise, maybe we should go to the scriptures and do the same sort of thing. Ultimately, in this passage, we see that Jesus was re revealed as God the Son as he just re reveals a glimpse of his glory. And we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But here at the end... <laughs> We're reminded he is not only those things, not only the fulfillment, not only the king of glory, but he is also the lamb of God. He's the sinless sacrifice that purchased salvation for all those who believe in him. Look, the, the disciples' heart, hearts were partially hard on that day on the mountain. They didn't really quite get it. But Jesus did have a plan to fully reveal all things to them. And they would eventually come to understand what he was preaching to them the whole time. But we ourselves are on this other side of redemptive history. We know what's happened. We know the revelation. We, we've been taught by the apostles. We understand what they have said about Jesus and what, <coughs> what Jesus said about himself. We can see Jesus for all that he is. He's the king of glory. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And we can see clearly that he is the sinless lamb of God. We see all these things. Hebrews 3, 7 says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is a quote from a psalm. Do you hear his voice today? That's the question that I would ask you. Do you hear his voice today? Do you hear him speaking to you? That it is, <coughs> it is time to lay aside all of the things, all the worries of this world. It is time to, to put those things in their proper place. And there is a proper place for them. And prioritize the things that he has commanded. To listen to him. Not listen to all of this other stuff. Not read yourself into the text all the time. Not read our current circumstances into the text all the time. But to just go, what has God said and how does this apply to me? 
Don't go like, I'm the hero of the story. Don't, don't read yourself in, in like that. See Jesus in these stories from the Old Testament. See Jesus as he reveals himself in the Gospels and as his doctrine is revealed in the epistles. Look and hear. Listen. Because if you've been truly listening today, you have been reminded that Jesus is both the King of glory and the Lamb of God. He's the judge and the sacrifice. And you need only to turn from your sin and trust in him. How do you get eternal life? How do you, how do you get saved? How do you have a relationship with the one true God of the universe? Trust in Jesus. Turn from your sin. You don't have to be perfect. Repent. Trust in him and walk. I want to say this, uh, just on a, on a personal note. I think that these last few weeks have been taxing for a lot of us. Um, I, I know that there are several people here uh, who are not here that, who have been dealing with different things too. And it's been almost overwhelming at times. And I think that for me personally, if I had been listening a bit more and worried less about my circumstances, I would have been less concerned. I would have been less worried. I would have been a little bit more with it. Um, and so I, I want to want to give this, uh, this verse to you as you sort of hear God speak th- through his word <coughs> as Jesus speaks. Um, this is a comfort for me today uh, and over the last couple of days as I've considered what God has said. Like, am I truly listening? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Today, if, if you hear God speaking, and I think he is, listen to him. Don't harden your hearts. Spend a moment to just lay aside this world and turn to Jesus. Maybe just for a moment, see Jesus only. And just walk in that. Let's pray that he would do that for us. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. Thank you.